Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
Chicago's finest internet radio show, making a world a better place, one show at a time. The George Water Jr. Show is now on the air. Take it away, Dad. All right, welcome to the George Wilder Jr. Show live. We're live in Chicago, but it soon will be podcasted, so uh, you can get it, download it, and just have it for your enjoyment, like all the other uh, podcasts on this uh, blog's talk website. All right, welcome to the George Wilder Jr. Show. Oh, I can't talk. We were not on yesterday. I was too busy still celebrating and wooing over uh, my son's uh, graduation, high school graduation from the one and only Chicago Symphony Orchestra Center in downtown Chicago. So I apologize for anybody who tuned in and the guest that was about to, that was going to appear on the show yesterday, but didn't get a chance because we were still celebrating. We were still in awe of it all, especially me. But I, I don't think no one actually really enjoyed it as much as my son did. And it was beautiful. And I, uh, once again, I want to thank everybody for supporting him coming in, coming down. Uh, it was just a beautiful event. It was just gorgeous. Something that, something like that. And, and that magnitude I hadn't been, been involved in in something like that in a long time. And that was just so beautiful. And I want to thank all the teachers, the counselors, um, the doctors, uh, the nurses, you know, everybody, uh, uh, you know, who loved Denver and, you know, was there to help him and cheer him on in his hour. <laughs> in his, this was his night. It was his hour. It was his time. So uh, I want to thank everybody for that. I want to thank Denver for doing it. Uh, my son, Denver, for doing a great job uh, for over, I mean, over 10, 15 years, uh, busting his ass, you know, in, in school and doing his homework and, Getting good grades. I want to thank him for that. And I want to thank, once again, I want to thank everybody else for for, for uh, um, being a part of it. All right. Uh, the George Wilder Jr. Show is on the air. My guest is Keith Gersey. Uh, I, I'm, I'm assuming he's going to be talking about weight loss. Again, I want to apologize for my guest yesterday. We were not on the air yesterday because of uh, graduation. Things like this happen, you know. My son's graduation, so things like this happen. The George Wilder Jr. Show is now on the air and making the world a better place. Hate lies have no home here. Uh, <clears throat> this is this is important. This is important. What I'm about to say here: Don't quit when others doubt you. Don't quit when they turn on you. Do not quit when they lie and spread falsehoods about you. Do not quit when they say you can't do it. Do not quit. Don't quit when they work hard to bring you down. And that should be a model for every, every uh, person out there who is seeking a career, trying to be, wanting to be something in their lives, doing everything they can to try to make the world a better place. You have to understand there's people out there who will try to take you down, who will try to bring you down uh, just because you are trying to make something out of yourself. Uh, these kinds of people do not have lives of their own. If they had lives of their own, they wouldn't be busy trying to ruin or destroy your life. Remember that. And that's, that is absolutely true. If people out there had lives of their own, they wouldn't, too, they wouldn't be so busy interfering with yours. 
And that's the truth. And I tell my son and other people that and other uh, folks that all the time, because these kinds of people are out there, they're jealous, they're obnoxious, they're shameful, they're despicable, because they're trying to bring you down. And they're doing nothing with their lives, but they don't want you to do anything with yours. So they keep telling you that you can't do it, you can't make it. And, and if you do make it without their support, if you do make it, they're all over you. Trying to say it was them, they did something. Or maybe you did it all by yourself or something like that. So I always tell people in those type of situations, get away from those type of people because they will bring you down. You stay around that kind of, you stay in that kind of environment and you remain there, they will bring you down. They will keep you from making it. They will keep you from getting anywhere. If you want to do something with your life, get away from the people who do not support you, who do not uh, give you their all in all when you are about to be successful. They're out there. Now, everybody is not like that, you, but you have a few stragglers here or there who wants to see you uh, not make it because they did not make it, so they want to see you not make it. And that can't happen. If you're talented, you're strong, you're gifted, you, you've driven, it's going to take years, but you can do it. Just get yourself around the right kinds of people who will support you and get rid of the people who do not because they will keep you and hold you back. And holding you back can mean you know, destroying your dreams, and you don't want your dreams destroyed. So, so um, uh, hang around, be around, make friends with great people. Leave the assholes alone. <laughs> Leave the assholes and the losers alone, right? All right, uh, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show. I'm trying to get a little bit in there. So anyway, it is so beautiful in the city of Chicago. It is gloomy foggy and you're saying to yourself george why is that so beautiful because it's just it just is it's not cold it's it's a spring-like day there's no sunshine reminds me reminds me of that bill with his son i ain't no sunshine but it's it's no uh sunshine but it's beautiful and it's 6 15 it's straight up 6 15 p.m and we're going to try and go as long as we can because um um, we were off yesterday, and, and that was a good reason for being off yesterday. My son graduated, and uh, uh, we wanted to be there, and we were, be, and we were there and, uh, and because it was his night. It was his night. And uh, you're going to hear me probably say something about that throughout the show. I think, I, I think last week we, 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 we touched on it. Uh, we may touch on it a little bit more, you know. All right, Hate Lies Have No Home here. The George Wilder Jr. Show is on the air. And thank every, I want to thank everybody for uh, tuning in and listening. It's your time. Uh, and this is your show. This is your time and this is your show. Now, I haven't paid attention to what's going on in the news <laughs> because a lot of times I don't cut on the television because I don't want Donald Trump on my TV. That's my television. I paid for it. I bought it. It's in my house. I don't have to have Donald Trump's face on it. Okay? Um, and a lot of people say the same thing. You know, they don't want Donald Trump's face on it. 
did you see the, I, I think it was the Tony Awards or Emmys or something where Robert De Niro said twice, fuck Trump. I mean, I am a fan of Robert De Niro. He's a great actor. He's one of the greatest actors in the world. One of the greatest actors in the world. And uh, he doesn't like Trump. He cannot stand Donald Trump, and it's known. Uh, we knew it all the time because when Donald Trump was running for president, I think I have a clip here somewhere where Donald Trump is, I mean, where Robert De Niro is calling, using using all kinds of adjectives to, to describe Donald Trump and their uh, uh, swearing words. So, you know, so he doesn't like Donald Trump. So Donald Trump, it says here that Donald Trump responds to Robert De Niro and Donald Trump calls Robert De Niro punched drunk. Now that doesn't sound as fiery as fuck you. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, President Donald Trump responds to Robert De Niro, calls him punch drunk. The president called uh, De Niro a very low IQ individual after the actor unleashed a tirade about Trump at the Tony Awards, you know? <laughs> so he calls a very low IQ. There is no one in the world with an IQ as low as Donald Trump. Donald Trump has the low IQ. One of the things I know about Donald Trump is that Donald Trump will take things that you say about him and throw them back at you. If you say he's punched, if you say he's, he's fucked up, he'll, he'll, he'll come back and say that you're fucked up. He'll take whatever you're saying about him and throw it out there on you because he doesn't have uh, uh, enough brain power to try to come up with his own insults. So he'll take the insults you throw at him and he'll put them back on you. And that's supposed to mean something. Okay. It doesn't, it doesn't. Anyway, it was the Tony awards production and president Donald Trump did not mince words on Tuesday in his response to Robert De Niro, who issued a profanity latent rebuke of the president at the Tony Awards over the weekend. Okay, uh, Robert, uh, this is Donald Trump, uh, you know, but you, you have to read this stuff because he's president of the United States. Robert De Niro is a very low <laughs> IQ individual, has received too many shots in the head by by real boxers in movies. I watched him last night and truly believe he may be punch drunk. That, that, that's silly. Trump tweeted while on his way home from Singapore, where he attended a first of its kind summit with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. I think, you know, I think that summit with Donald Trump with world leaders is just a farce. Who wants to watch this guy embarrass himself more, moreover, embarrassed the United States with his bullshit. Okay, he goes on to say, Trump goes on to say, I guess he doesn't realize the economy is in its best, uh, uh, is the best it's ever been with employment being high at an all-time high and many companies pouring back into the c country. Many, com many com countries, companies, I'm sorry, pouring back into our country what is if co companies are coming back to america and is and he is the responsible i haven't heard of any countries companies companies i'm sorry companies coming back to the country he's donald trump is the one that's punched punched drunk he's the one that punched drunk not robert de niro 
you know, uh, and I do think that that um, Trump Trump is actually afraid of Robert De Niro. He had to respond. He had to respond. I guess his handlers around him told him that he better respond. He's better respond. De Niro had some thoughts to get off his chest before introducing Bruce Springsteen on Sunday. Uh, this is De Niro. I'm going to say one thing, he said, raising his fist in the air, fuck Trump. <laughs> and everybody, you know, and just about every American in the United States started saying fuck Trump because Robert De, Robert De Niro started it. But I, I, I posted something that said, America's been saying fuck Trump for a long time. You know, I mean, even before he was president, even before while he was campaigning, we were saying fuck Trump. So Rob, I think Robert De Niro knows that, you know, so he really can't claim or patent those two words when it comes to Donald, Donald Trump. And when Robert De Niro said fuck Trump, the audience went wild, standing ovation. Man, De Niro continued to rant against Trump the next day, apologized to Canada for the idiotic behavior of my president. He was apologizing to Canada for the idiotic behavior of my president. Wow. I guess this is Robert De Niro. It is, it's a disgrace. And I apologize. This is, this is Robert De Niro. He, he was apologizing to Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, too, and the other people of the G7. De Niro said Monday while in Toronto. De Niro has gone on tirades against Trump before, has gone on tirades against, against Trump before during a speech at the National Board Review of Annual Awards Gala in January. He referred to the president as a fucking idiot, a fucking idiot, a, a baby in chief, a jerk off in chief. <laughs> Go, Robert De Niro. He is, I, I love it when people speak their mind, say what they think. It's too bad that so many Democrats in office will not stand up to Trump the way Robert De Niro is doing and some other Democrats are doing. Some of the main Democrats who should be out there blasting Donald Trump, they're quiet. They're, they're. And a lot of people are saying that maybe Barack Obama should be saying things like this about Trump. But, a, but we all know Barack Obama likes to he likes to be above it all. Sometimes you cannot be above it all. You got to get down in the dirt with them. You have to uh, uh, fight fire with fire because you cannot uh, uh, let them beat you over the head. And then suddenly you uh, getting up off the ground and giving them, you know, donuts and cake when they're beating you over the head. You can't do that. They're going to just beat you down again. And this is what they've done to Obama, and they've been doing to him throughout his presidency, bullying Obama and Obama giving in. You can't do that. But we have people like myself. I, I tell it like it is when it comes to Donald Trump. And I love people, other people who tell it like it is. I don't listen to people who lie, who try to sugarcoat the behavior and the actions of Donald Trump, any of that on my show. I see too much of it on cable. Too many people sugarcoating, trying to stand up for Donald Trump, trying to defend his asinine behavior, and it's not working. It's not, people like Donald Trump, I mean, people like Robert De Niro, the actor, who I think is one of the greatest actors in the world, fuck Trump 
fuck Trump, what he's saying is not true. And uh, he's just taking what Don, uh, Michael, uh, excuse me, he's just taking what Robert De Niro is saying about him and throwing it back at Robert De Niro, as I said earlier. You know, uh, it, it's, it's, it's awful. It's, it's, and I do think that Trump is afraid of Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro is not afraid of Donald Trump like so many other people are, especially in Congress. But, you know, no matter how many times Donald, uh, Robert De Niro say, fuck Trump, Washington, the uh, Republicans aren't going to do anything about it because I'm saying fuck Congress because they're not doing anything about this asinine president that we have. Donald Trump is trying to do so much uh, uh, dirt and garbage to the country, whereas the Republicans will not impeach him. But this is not going to this is not going to deter Robert Mueller from investigating all of these scandals and corruption and crimes that Donald Trump and the Republicans have committed on the American people. Uh, uh, Donald Trump can go anywhere in the world, meet with any leader he wants. That's not going to deter his ass from being thrown out of the White House. And I've said this several times. I think the people of this country need to rise up and throw his ass completely out on his ass. Get him out of our White House. Because the Republicans who you voted in the office to represent you, they're not representing you. And they don't give a shit about their jobs. They don't care how you uh, say that you're going to throw them out. They're not answering your phones when you call the congress- their congressional offices. They're not answering their emails when you email them. They're, they're not even paying you any attention, and you the one that gave – Donald Trump did not give those Republicans in Congress their job. You did. The voter did. But they're kissing Donald Trump's ass, and they're proudly doing it and thumbing their noses up at you, the voter, who put their asses in office, gave them their salary, gave them their health care, gave them the greatest benefits in the world, and they turn around and they're going to screw you because they'd rather be eaten at Donald Trump's feet than yours. And you, their employer, you hired him. As long as the Republicans, they're not doing anything about Donald Trump, as long as they're not doing anything about Donald Trump and getting paid, they're screwing the American people. They're not doing their job. They're not protecting America against this tyrant son of a bitch in office. And that's one of their jobs is to protect the people from an unfit, a lunatic, a crazy president who goes around trying to pretend that he's not crazy. And we see this in his behavior all all the time. So we're paying Congress people to sit on their hands and do nothing and let this man destroy the United States. He lies every time he opens his mouth. He lies every, you can't believe anything he says. Oh yeah, if this this would have been Obama doing all of this dirt and this garbage on America, he'd have been gone, or or any Democrat. It's just that we got people in Congress who are just as complicit. They are just as scandalous. They are just as criminals. They are just 
aiders and abettors to a monstrous presidency. A real, real asshole of a president. And it's it, it and it's ongoing. And now I think in Ohio, uh, there was something about Ohio uh, upholding this. The, I think the state supreme court of Ohio upholding purging of voters off the rolls. That means they're suppressing the vote in Ohio. And a lot of people are saying, will they be suppressing the the vote in the in the other 49 states just so they can try and uh, 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 keep the Republicans in office? It could happen. It could happen. Uh, The minute as they'll admit it, the minute that Ohio threw threw voters off the rolls, Mike Pence headed straight to Ohio to say, hey, wow, that way to go, Ohio. Throw them off. Throw them off. They can't vote. But you know what? I don't think what Ohio's doing is going to matter any. Voters are pissed off. They are ticked off. They are energized. They are ready. They are ready to throw these son of a bitches out in the street. And I think these assholes are ready to be thrown out in the street. And they know it. They don't even go to any of those, any of their um, town hall meetings. Because they know they're going to get their asses chewed out by their constituency. So it's 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 something, and I don't think many states are going to follow uh, Ohio and purge voters off the rolls, giving giving themselves excuses to uh, stop people from voting. And I still do believe in Ohio. I think Ohio is going to do this. The more voters they try to uh, purge from the voting rolls the more people are going to vote, legitimate people going to vote. Because this is all the Trump administration is trying to do right now, folks. They're looking for ways to get you, to keep you from voting, to keep you from voting. They're looking for ways, any old excuse. Then they're going to have a federal judge to try to, you know, enact it. A lot of these federal judges are saying no way. It ain't going to happen. There's no doubt about it. The, the Ohio Supreme Court is probably, is probably loaded with Repub- Republicans. That's the only way it happened. Loaded with Republicans. You know, They're just trying to do everything they can to uh, suck the life out of you, suck the life out of democracy, turn this into Germany, Nazi Germany, the 40s, 30s, and 40s Nazi Germany with this prick, uh, Donald Trump. All right, you've been listening to the George Wanda Jr. Show. Sometimes I get kind of passionate, folks. We've been off the air for about four days, I believe, the, uh, you know, for numerous reasons, and the graduation is one of them, which I'm still, still, uh, uh, I can't even talk. I'm so thrilled about it. And, uh, you know, it, it's just something that, uh, all right, he's off to college now, and uh, we just have to see what happens, you know. And um, we'll be right back.
single news cycle, the triple threats to Donald Trump's presidency are all on full display. His lies about hush money paid to a porn star, the investigation into possible collusion with Russia, and his strategy to protect himself in the Russia investigation by sliming career law enforcement and Justice Department officials up in flames today with explosive new reporting from the New York Times about the lengths that the FBI... I'm Keith Olbermann, and this is The Resistance. I'm confident now, even more so than I have been throughout the last year, that this nightmare presidency of Donald John Trump will end prematurely and end soon, and I am thus also confident that this is the correct moment to end this series of commentaries. The important stuff first. There are seven routes in front of Trump. Each inevitably ends in his impeachment or resignation. The first, the likeliest, became a thousand times more likely with the Thanksgiving news of a possible deal between Robert Mueller and General Michael Flynn. As I reported here as long ago as April 4th, the most specifically qualified expert alive on the subject of prosecuting a president, my friend, the Nixon White House counsel John Dean, put it to me very simply. Mueller is not shooting down. Mueller does not make a deal with Flynn to get Paul Manafort. He does not make a deal with Flynn to get Jared Kushner. He does not make a deal with Flynn to get Trump Jr. Mueller makes a deal with Flynn to get Donald Trump. Period. The Flynn deal report suggests Mueller has completely assembled the backbone of his case and is now just hanging the meat from it. And just as importantly, if Flynn has merely considered a deal from Mueller, it almost necessarily means Flynn either doesn't believe he would get a pardon from Trump or that Mueller, as I've also reported here, has succeeded in finding a way around Trump's pardon power. And either of these near certainties spell Trump's doom. So that's the most obvious of the seven ways for Trump to go now. Mueller really will get him on Russia. It will be ugly, and it will tear this country nearly apart, but it will be necessary. The second way is, as I've also repeatedly suggested here, that Mueller doesn't really need to prove anything about Trump and Russian sabotage of the election. There seems to be so much obstruction of justice, from the firing of James Comey to the lies about Trump Jr.'s meetings with the Russians, that it's hard to pick out a key player in the Trump inner circle who could not be guilty of it. Trump could be impeached on just obstruction of justice and a few lesser charges. Nixon was about to be. Or there is a third way. We could be spared the trauma of a Russia impeachment or an obstruction of justice impeachment as we were spared it with Nixon. If Trump is smart or just sufficiently scared enough and he resigns, or if he isn't, those around him who could still sell themselves by selling him out will force him to resign. A modified version of this, of course, is the fourth possible outcome that even if Mueller is months away from his denouement, the Republicans will impeach or remove Trump by spring purely no, to save won't. their own asses. The state elections no, in won't. Virginia and Oklahoma care. earlier this month show what could face Republican incumbents nationwide next November. Not only were Democratic victories overwhelming, but half of them were little morality plays. The 26-year-old lesbian beats the Republican in the district Trump by, won by nearly 40 points a year ago. The transgendered candidate in Virginia beats the guy who wrote an anti-equality bathroom bill. The boyfriend of a news reporter shot to death on camera beats the Republican pro-NRA candidate. I'll say it again. Richard Nixon was not forced out of office by Democrats, not really even by Watergate. 
Democrats controlled the Senate and the House. Every day Richard Nixon was president. They could have impeached him at any point. He resigned when the leading Republicans went into the White House and told him that not only would he be impeached and convicted, but he would take all of them down with him and they were not going to let him do that. So that's the fourth way out. Trump becomes more of an albatross to Republicans and more importantly, more of a in an astonishingly blatant abuse of power, the President of the United States attempted to use the power of his office and the power of the federal government to financially injure a company owned by a man who published journalism the President doesn't like. The Washington Post reporting today that Trump has personally been pushing the Postmaster General to raise shipping rates on Amazon, a company owned by Jeff Bezos, who also happens to publish the Washington Post. And for months, as you probably noticed, the President has repeatedly insistently linked Amazon to the Washington Post, calling the, quote, fake Washington Post a lobbyist for Amazon, saying the paper functions as a tax shelter for Bezos, while also falsely claiming that Amazon rips. On this edition of the Fifth Estate, gunfight in America. You Mr. Trump, it's Dixon White here, sending a video letter directly to you, sir. And the only reason I call you sir is because the office that you hold is supposed to be a respectable office. But So I just want to speak directly to you, Mr. Trump. I know you may never get this video. Maybe you will, though, because at least I have white skin like you. But first, I wanted to applaud you for one thing, and only one thing. Um... Many racists in politics are very covert. So I applaud you for being an open racist, and I applaud you for at least letting us see just how racist you are. And it's now it's it's well established worldwide that you are a bona fide white supremacist. Um, there's not a nation that hasn't condemned you as a racist. So you have dishonored and disgraced one of the the highest office offices in the land. But I wanted to say one thing. You made a comment yesterday about shithole countries, poor, black, brown countries. So because they're poor, because they're black and brown and not white or European, you consider them shitholes. Well, I wanted to give you an accurate definition of a shithole nation. A shithole nation by definition would be a nation like America that allows and tolerates a racist to operate in their highest office, the presidency. That is a shithole nation. A nation that tolerates a racist president. There is no worse pile of shit or turd in the toilet out of all the other countries that a great nation like America that allows its president to be an open white supremacist and then to allow them to continue to function as president that's the biggest turd in the pot or as you say the biggest shithole why because you, Mr. Trump, are the shit, the turd, in the White House that's staining and putting the foul odor all over our nation.
And of course, the only reason you're there is because you're a racist. You're a complete and utter idiot with no competency whatsoever to be where you're at. The only reason you're there is because we had a black president and our racist nation wanted a racist president after a black president. So until America can get past its racism, which I don't know if it ever has, because there's one thing about black folks, Mr. Trump. Black folks have always understood one thing. The more things change in this country, the more they stay the same. You are living proof that any white person, no matter how racist they are, and matter of fact, racism is actually more of a compliment in this nation. It's like apple pie racism in America. They go hand in hand. If you're a white American, you're a racist, and you've, and you've proven that. And not only are you a racist, if you're a racist, you get rewarded for being a racist in this country. Why? Because we are a racist organization called America. Fact. And nothing has changed in 400 years. What has really changed? We're still seeing black and brown folks executed in the street. Not that you and Jeff Sessions or any of your racist motherfucking cabinet care. You don't give a fuck about justice for people of color. You're all a group of white nationalists. So I just want to tell you, here's one white guy, and I'm telling you personally, Donald Trump, kiss my white fat ass. I hate you, Donald Trump. I literally hate you. And I pray to God you get impeached. You're an embarrassment to our nation and upon the world. Please do us all a favor and resign. American Underworld. Trump's favorable ratings are the lowest, I believe, for any president who has served the length of time that he has served. So people look at Washington and they don't see much that they feel very good about. And I think there are a couple of reasons for that, which this budget really demonstrates. Number one, there are politicians who run for office and they say one thing. Uh, President Trump, when he was a candidate, ran for office and he said, I'm a different type of Republican. I'm not the Mick Mulvaney type of Republican. I'm different. I'm going to stand with working families. We're going to take on the establishment and so forth and so on. Well, it turns out he did exactly the opposite. And this budget is a clear manifestation of him doing exactly the opposite. Uh, and second of all, I think what the American people understand is their one vote, their one voice matters relatively little in a Congress which is dominated by big money, wealthy campaign contributors. The Koch brothers are going to spend some $400 million in the coming campaign. And you know what? This budget is the budget of the Koch brothers. It is the budget of the billionaire class. And the American people understand it. This is a budget which will make it harder for our children to get a decent education. 
harder for working families to get the health care they desperately need, harder to protect the air that we breathe and the water we drink, and harder for the elderly to live out their retirement years with dignity and respect. This is not a budget, as candidate Donald Trump talked about, that takes on the political establishment. This is a budget of the political establishment. This is the Robin Hood principle in reverse. It is a budget that takes from the poor and gives to the very wealthy. During the campaign, as we'll all recall, Donald Trump told us that, quote, the rich will not be gaining at all, end quote, under his tax reform plan. Rich will not be gaining at all. But as president, the tax reform legislation Trump signed into law a few
Chicago, a mob town from way back. Outlaws, you know, we did what we wanted. In a place known for its criminals, Chicago's housing projects were once the breeding grounds for the city's most ruthless gangs. This is everyday beat. This ain't nothing new to us. Straight up. Built for the poor, they were rife with violence and a haven for the drug trade. You got your blows, you got your rocks, your weed. Man, the money comes so fast. It was a gold mine. It was like anything goes. Rival gangs did anything to control these high-rises. You're talking about communities that are held hostage. I heard the gunshot, and his mama came and she jumped on top of him. We catch you over here again, we gonna kill you. You got all these buildings shooting at you at one time, bullets flying past your head. So many different gunshots. Boom, boom, boom. Welcome to Chicago, a gangster city. You could be right in front of December 31st, 1999. New Year's Eve, Cabrini Green. At Chicago's most notorious public housing project, this is how gangbangers rang in the millennium. We used to walking down the streets with AK-47s and all type of, you know, pistols. We would just walk around shooting and doing what we do. The shooting spree was an annual ritual. Most Cabrini residents knew to stay indoors on New Year's Eve. Some slept in their bathtubs to avoid stray gunfire. And you really have to be careful because you don't know where those shots coming from. Things got so bad that over the years, police shut down the streets around the housing project. At first, for only an hour or so, later, for the entire night. But securing the streets had an unintended consequence. It was like to all the gang members and guys who wanted to fire their gun, come on down to Cabrini, we'll just shoot our guns in the air, sell dope. Nobody's going to bother us, at least for a few hours. And it was unbelievable. It was the most blatant disregard for law and order that I, I'd ever seen. Chicago is a gangster city, and these are the ways of its infamous housing projects. The first buildings were opened in 1938 as a welfare program for the urban poor. They were meant to offer a clean, cheap, and safe alternative to some of the city's worst slums. But this social experiment soon disintegrated. Gangs turned these buildings into armed camps, thug-run fiefdoms in the midst of the city. High-rise after high-rise served as recruitment centers and incubators for gangs and their violence. It's always been about power and dope. And uh, if you look at it, they're basically very much like the Mafia. You know, they all have their nicknames, and it's all revolving around violence for control. Rival bangers openly battled for the right to set up shop with cocaine and heroin as their merchandise. 
many of these young people felt, hey, we're on the outside looking in. Society doesn't want to count us in. We will create our own economy underground. More than 125 street gangs claim territory in Chicago, with total membership exceeding 100,000. From the 1970s through the early 1990s, three gangs in particular ruled the city's projects. The Gangster Disciples, the Vice Lords, and the P-Stones. Tens of thousands of residents struggled to live their lives amongst a small but powerful group of gang members. They controlled buildings across the city. And they were all at war with each other to expand their criminal enterprises. It was a gold mine, not only a gold mine, like, with no limit, anything goes. The police could do little to stop them. My first week in Cabrini, I was driving down the street in a squad car. I heard some gunfire to my left. I looked to my left toward the building. Someone came from my right, reached over the hood of the car with a gun, and shot at the building. I mean, it was just wild. I couldn't believe it. Over time, these high-rises became fortresses where the gangs operated openly. They were the perfect place to set up shop and to evade the police. Lookouts on upper floors watched for squad cars and communicated with other gang members using walkie-talkies. We had a three-man, four-man shift. That mean like one person on the back, one person on the front, one person in the breezeway. So when the police come, they hollering, be up, or whatever the, the word might be, you know what I'm saying, to try to fool the police. You can't really sneak up on somebody on a 17th floor apartment who runs a dope operation. It's very difficult to get in without going through 17 floors of security. They're literally in forts. The high-rises also provided plenty of spaces for hiding guns and drugs. Gangs often coerced residents into helping them. They normally would store the guns in a legitimate person's apartment. It would be a little old lady or uh, a woman with several kids, and uh, they would keep the guns there. Most residents knew better than to complain to police. It was a tacit agreement between innocents and gangsters. You deal with the police or you deal with us. Y'all got to see us every day. Y'all not going to see them every day. As a result, drug dealers enjoyed almost free reign, running 24-hour markets for junkies. They screened their customers and served them with workmanlike efficiency. If you come in the building, security folks pet you down, search you. If you've known, people know you already because you're from the projects or whatever, you go straight up and get your drugs. For marijuana, it would be like on the left side of the building. If it was cocaine, that would be the fourth floor. The heroin would be like the ninth floor. And we kept the elevators uh, working. We had a person that would ride the elevator up with the residents, the customers. Dealers made thousands of dollars a day. I could be downstairs with probably two, three thousand dollars worth of cocaine, and they'd be gone in probably 30 minutes. It was free enterprise. That meant when the guy come in, if my bag's better than yours, I'm going to get to sell. 
The rise of powder and crack cocaine propelled the Gangster Disciples, or GDs, more than any other Chicago street gang, to the top. The Disciples' leader, Larry Hoover, cultivated a drug empire that, according to the Department of Justice, at one point earned in excess of $100 million a year. A self-proclaimed student of Al Capone, Hoover modeled his organization after the Italian mob and a Fortune 500 company. In prison for murder since 1973, Hoover took the reins of the gang from behind prison walls, sending out memos with instructions to his troops on the streets. Larry Hoover was the ultimate voice. He was the chairman of the board, and he had underlings that worked for him, who had underlings that worked for them, and then each community had a boss. And these guys ran this thing like a machine. Everybody just do what's, what's told from the higher spot down. Far as like Larry Hoover told him what's going on. All rules was, was mainly followed, you know. Hoover's biggest innovation was a street tax on drug deals. In exchange for the right to sell drugs at the housing projects, dealers had to share 70% of their earnings with the gang. These guys are minimum wage drug dealers. Most of the underlings make enough money to buy pampers, buy some sneakers, give their girlfriends some money to help with the rent, and they have to be there tomorrow because it's an ongoing job for them. break out it's stupid in a way because we fighting over who finna make this sale but it makes sense because we all out here trying to eat for every building that the disciples controlled there was a coordinator who supplied the narcotics to dealers and then collected taxes from them movers <laughs> enforcers made sure everyone paid up the gangs run every drug spot here in the city. There's no what they call independence. It doesn't work like that. Selling dope has been the fastest, easiest way for many young men to earn money while growing up in the projects. It's like, won't this piece of candy, this good candy, right? You want it, I mean, and it's just that easy to, to, to get affiliated. H2O was 14 years old when he joined the Disciples. I got involved because friends, you know, seeing the fancy clothes and, and, and everything. They come to school with the nice gym shoes. So, you know, I, I, I wanted that. The Gangster Disciples ranks ultimately swelled to 30,000, including members like Toy T, who says he caught his first case, an attempted murder charge when he was only 11 years old. Ninety-five percent of Cabrini was GD, so whatever you've been around all your life, that's what you're gonna grow for the beat, you know what I'm saying? As the gangster disciples rose to power, they battled their enemies. The Vice Lords and Peastones for control of the drug trade. Chicago's public housing complexes became war zones. Carved up by gang rivalries. And it was so much risk. I mean, you facing 
You facing death in the dough. The gangs waged a guerrilla war using sniper attacks against each other. You would never know. It would be a board in the window with a look cracked in it, you know, and you wouldn't know. Only thing you would hear was the gunshot. Scores of people were shot down by sniper fire so that this now empty lot became known simply as the killing fields. A lot of blood that's been spilled on that field. Residents lived in terror. They feared getting caught in the crossfire. Kids wouldn't even be able to come out and play, you know what I mean? Because so much gunfire, you know, parents scared for their children. Bullets would come through your living room window. Snipers perched in their high-rises, even shot at police and paramedics. You automatically got out of your, your vehicle with your weapon in your hand. And, you know, and always looking at the building and not lingering to get in the building because that was the only cover you had. Once inside the buildings, police rarely, if ever, found the snipers who used an elaborate tunneling system to escape. So on the top floors, we put holes in all the walls so we can go from one building to the next. Like if the police would chase us, we would run up to the 10th floor and go through the holes in the walls and we would come down in the other building. All the time, the police in this building, it was like a nest. It was actually the perfect place to commit a crime. By the 1990s, Cabrini Green, one of Chicago's most notorious housing projects, had earned a reputation as a Wild West shooting gallery. You might be at the store with your mama, your little brothers and sisters, it wouldn't matter. You got these guys who are in the window sniping, shooting people. Chicago's projects weren't always like this. They were once seen as places of opportunity. Initially, it started off with the idea that, you know what, this will help people get on their feet. They'll move out and move on. The city first broke ground on Cabrini Green in 1942, building dozens of row houses over a slum so dangerous it became known as Little Hell. These units initially housed the working poor, mostly Italians. But over time, that changed. During the 1950s and 60s, African Americans from the South flooded into Chicago looking for a better life. You're talking about folks coming up from places like Mississippi and Arkansas who were very poor and uneducated. As they were coming up, many jobs left cities, which left uh, many neighborhoods like Cabrini Green in chaos. These new arrivals required additional public housing units to be built. But many white city councilmen refused to allow them in their wards. Mayor Richard J. Daley appeased them by building several new projects on the traditionally black south side of the city. The largest were the Robert Taylor homes. It had 25,000 registered tenants. And you probably could add three people to every lease. So now you're talking about, in that community, 75,000. By 1975, 
92% of the people here were on public assistance, and there were nearly three children for every adult, most of them single mothers. Chicago police officer Eric Davis patrolled the projects where he'd grown up for 18 years. He says it was the federal welfare system and the flaws in its design that tore families apart. While we'll give you public aid, we'll even increase it for you having more children, but the father or the husband can't be in the home. And they would send out the social workers to check, and he would be gone for a week because he never knew when the social worker was going to come. And after a while, he just wasn't there at all. Within a few years of opening, conditions in these buildings deteriorated to the point of them being just as bad as the slums they replaced. Ewing in the hallways, Ewing in the stairways, Ewing on the elevators, lights knocked out. It was, looked like a war zone. Chicago's housing projects became islands of poverty and incubators for street gangs. Gang life gave a whole generation of young black men a sense of identity and belonging. You don't have no good role models around you every day. When you're around negativity every day, you know this like a magnet, it's like a magnet, it's gonna come to you. Men like Larry Hoover, leader of the Gangster Disciples, lured young recruits with the promise of fast, easy money selling drugs. Mom's got the dealing with the drug thing, so she couldn't provide the way she used to, you know what I mean? So eventually I turned to the streets and was able to get all the things that mom was lacking on. Hoover also offered something unique. Respect. The man speak love, you know what I'm saying? Honor and respect, you know what I'm saying? And if you make somebody embrace, you embrace someone and make them feel like you really love them, you care about them, of course they're going to follow you. Hoover required the disciples to live by a set of laws that were distributed in printed form to all members. These laws prohibited them from using drugs and stealing from or showing disrespect to other members. 90% of the men in ghettos work with a pride thing. You wasn't going to get respect if you wasn't given it. They also followed what they called the five P's. Proper preparation prevent poor performance. Everyday life things, you know, keep yourself up to par, you know, like a, a man or a young man supposed to, you know, look nice, first appearance mean everything. I live by this, and whether some people know it or not, some of the, the laws and policies that we do abide by, it's not to destroy man, but it's to create one. But the most important of all laws was the one called silence and secrecy. See no evil, speak no evil. Whatever we talk about, whatever, I mean, everything we go through, if nobody else seen it and there was something drastic, it's between me and you. That's, that's our law. Cabrini Green became a world unto itself, run by the laws of the street. The of the city didn't apply inside the project and Cabrini law extended to the Chicago Police Department July 17 1970 Cabrini Green is launched into infamy
Sergeant James Severin and Officer Anthony Rosado were at Cabrini as part of an all-volunteer program working to build relationships with the community. They were crossing a baseball field when two snipers took aim. They intentionally shot these two officers. Intentionally, yeah. It's an out-and-out -out, uh, murder. Severin and Rosado were killed, police say, to seal a truce between two rival gangs, the Gangster Disciples and the Cobra Stones. But the snipers didn't stop there. One of the officers that went out there to the, out onto the field to retrieve, I believe it was Officer Severin's, the rounds were coming, they were still shooting at them, and the rounds were coming off the ground and around the car. No one else was killed. But the incident confirmed who was in charge at Cabrini Green. The truce that sealed the fates of Severin and Rosado was short-lived. The Disciples and Cobra Stones soon started shooting at each other again and at the police. It wasn't uncommon to have gunfire uh, erupt, uh, especially at police, uh, maybe not intending to uh, hit the officer, but certainly to scare him away, let him know this is our turf. In the spring of 1981, Chicago Mayor Jane Byrne vowed to end the lawlessness and improve living conditions at Cabrini Green. She moved into an apartment at the war-torn housing complex, flanked by police and bodyguards. Reporters asked the mayor when she planned to leave. When I think people think they can look out a window and not get shot. The mayor got a first-hand look at the deplorable living conditions there. From the vermin-infested apartments to the broken-down elevators. If you lived on the 15th floor, you walked up with your groceries, you walked up with your children. Conditions improved during the mayor's stay, but the experiment lasted all of three weeks before Byrne returned to her luxury condo less than a mile away. As while she was there, there was no drug dealing. There were no gang shootings. It was utopia. But uh, the mayor went back home and gave the building back to the gang that was there. The mayor's stay had another unintended consequence. While she was there, the building where the mayor lived had its back doors sealed to increase her security. But once she left, the gangs used this to their advantage. The building became known as the fort. So now how this building worked was, they blatantly stood in front of the building and sold drugs. And when we pulled the car up, they walked into the building, closed the door, and walked away. And there was nothing that we could do because we couldn't sneak up the back. Other buildings soon copied the fort, finding creative ways to block the back entrances, leaving the only way in through the front door. So the police actually locked themselves out because when they come to the building, we just close the door. By the mid-1980s, the body count at Chicago's gang-controlled housing projects was in the hundreds. There's been times where I was on my way to school and I didn't see dead bodies laying in the hallway. And getting to school and seeing brains outside of the school. One time, uh, me and my god sisters coming from the store, coming through the building, and uh, Guy running in with ski mask on and shot another guy right in front of us. Bullets float right past our head. 
In the 19 months between January 1st, 1984 and July 1985, 13 people were shot and killed at Cabrini Green. The 13th was 5th grader Lakita Crosby. The 9-year-old girl was in front of her building waiting her turn at Double Dutch. A gunfight broke out between a vice lord and a group of gangster disciples. A stray bullet hit Lakita in the chest. The shooter, 19-year-old Lawrence Taylor, was horrified by what he'd done. They had a, uh, their own code of conduct there. And, and it's still, I think, existent all throughout the, their community is that you don't mess with young kids. Later that night, Taylor made a deal with the girl's uncle, Gerald Crosby, a fellow gang member. They agreed that if Lakita lived, they would keep the shooting to themselves. If she died, they agreed Crosby would go to the police and Taylor would turn himself in. Lakita died. True to their deal, Crosby gave the police a full statement. But just as Taylor was being charged, Crosby's fellow gang members beat him nearly to death. In their eyes, Crosby had broken their most important rule. You know, no matter what happened, you know, you, you don't tell. You know, if it's a problem, then we deal with it ourselves. You, know, you don't involve the police. Enforcing the gang's rules required a highly structured hierarchy. The project's biggest gang was the Gangster Disciples. At the top of the organization was the chairman of the board, Larry Hoover. A lot of people like to call them gangs. They're really organized crime. They are no different than the mob, the Italian mob. You know, you have your leadership, chairman of the board. They have a board. They have uh, governors. They have regents. They have guys who run certain buildings. At the bottom were the enforcers and the foot soldiers. Foot soldiers executed drug deals and guarded gang territory. Enforcers meted out fines from members who broke gang rules. They were also in charge of violations. These punishments were doled out according to the crime. If a uh, individual was, a, was the lookout and the police made the arrest, well, he was violated. You get shot in the leg or shot in the uh, uh, buttocks. You lost your dope, you got violated. I mean, these, these were things that you know, how to maintain control over the people. The worst violation you can get was that, 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 that PhD. A pogger head is when your face is all swollen up and beaten, your mama won't even know you. That would be from uh, uh, being uh, 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 disrespectful, insubordinate, you know, stealing, rape, things of those nature. You done what you was told, you know, and you wasn't going to be told twice. And guys, you know, honored that. Mario Morgan should know. He was a senior regent of the Gangster Disciples. He followed orders that came from the top, then passed them along to his subordinates. I had like maybe 50 or 60 other regents up under me, and 
whatever I was told, you know, I just, you know, hand down the orders to my regents and made sure that they did what they were supposed to do. The system kept the leaders shielded from the police. You might know who the governor is, the region, all that, but they don't touch drugs. They're not doing no violations themselves. They're not doing anything themselves, but behind closed doors, giving orders to someone else. So really, it's nothing you could do to them. Like Morgan, most leaders who manage to stay out of prison are vague when describing their former duties. But they admit that they were in constant danger just by being near the top of the gang's food chain. I meant business, you know. I didn't have any problems nowhere I went. Most of the time, they knew I was coming before I got there. And they was waiting for me and made sure I got back up out of there safely. The George Wilder Jr. Show is now on the air. You are my pride and joy. And I just love you, love you darling. I like a baby boy, loves his toy. You've got kisses, sweeter than honey. And I work seven days a week to give you all my money. And that's why you are President Donald Trump publicly endorsed Katie Arrington, a South Carolina Republican running for Congress this Tuesday afternoon, but it might not do her much good. Polls closed in the primary election closed at 7 p.m. So he, Donald Trump, ignorant and dumb as he is, uh, decided to uh, throw his support toward her just about when the polls are closing. That's not going to do anybody much good. I mean, he should have endorsed her days ago, weeks ago, maybe months ago. But just a little bit before the polls close, that's kind of This is Donald Trump. This is, this is Donald Trump's playbook, Stupidity Incorporated. This is atrocious. And anyway, you think about it. Why would anybody want Donald Trump to support them in the first place? 
Donald Trump's support is like the kiss of death. Majority of the people he have supported uh, since his year and a half or two years in office, they lost. They lost in states and cities and towns that Donald Trump had won in 2016. But a lot of those folks that voted for Donald Trump in some of these states that he once carried, they're pissed off at him. They're angry. Their jobs are going. Agriculture is bad. Everything is bad. Coal mining jobs are bad. Everything that he promised them that he was going to do for them, they're still waiting. And a lot of them are pissed off and they're voting for, and a lot of them are voting either independently or they're voting democratically. You know, and if you probably talk to Katie Arrington, she'd probably say, suck Trump's endorsement. <laughs> Throw it at the door or something. Because, you know, at, you know, the guys is, is the kiss of death, as someone once said. Kiss of death. You know, and, and every and all of them are losing. Every, all of these Republicans in some of these major key states are losing to Democrats. You know, to Democrats. And it's all because of what it, it's all, it's all because Republicans have stopped representing the people who put their asses in office. They're not representing, they're representing Donald Trump. They're kissing Donald Trump's ass and Donald Trump is wrecking the country. He's wrecking the country. I'm all with Robert De Niro for calling him every kind of blank, blank there is because Trump deserves deserves it and he deserves a lot more. Yeah, so uh, this is just crazy. Trump endorsing someone for Congress at the last minute. That's like my son walking out the door, getting up, <laughs> walking out the door for school and discovers he needs a pair of new shoes. When he could have said something days ago. And, you know, but not at the moment he has to go right out the door to school. I mean, Trump is just awful. And, uh, you know, this uh, I'm afraid I, I don't want to say this. I was hoping that he could be impeached or thrown out or resigned before the midterms. But it looks like he's going to make it through the midterms because Donald Trump wants to stay in power. Anyone else would have been impeached or they would have resigned. If they carried and hated by the entire world as Donald Trump is, they would have quit. Donald Trump has you know, he, he, he's a narcissist. He has no feelings. He has no sympathy. He has no empathy. He has nothing towards anybody. He doesn't care what you say about him, how you talk about him, you hate him. He just has no feelings. He doesn't feel hurt. He doesn't feel uh, emotional pain. I mean, somebody call you ugly, somebody call you fat or something, you're going to go and feel pretty bad about that, some of us. Not Donald Trump. It makes him feel good to be called ugly, fat, and dumb, and stupid because he just go on being just that because it doesn't bother him. But in some instances, I think it does bother him because if it didn't bother him, he probably wouldn't try to retaliate. You know, but he doesn't give a fuck. Robert De Niro doesn't care. <laughs> but the country is falling apart because of it. That's that's the part. That's the part that really gets me. The country is falling apart of, because of it. Uh, and, you know, Robert De Niro, and like a lot of Americans, uh, 
they're apologizing to other countries for the behavior of our president, Donald Trump. We're apologizing for his behavior, but not the. Re- and we also should should be apologizing for Congress behavior. A bunch of white, rich old men that are up Donald Trump's butt. Fuck the country. Screw Americans. The hell with democracy. The hell with the economy. We're gonna go and back our King Trump. Is what the Republicans are saying. Even though a lot of them know that they're in trouble. In November, they know they're in trouble. It's on the list. told them. Your, your ass is out of there. But still, they're backing Donald Trump. They don't care what the people who put their asses in office saying. They don't care about the people who are paying their paycheck, who are giving them their paycheck, the taxpayers. They're still going to back Donald Trump. And Donald Trump He doesn't give two shits about them. He will throw them under the bus. He will fire them. He will make them look bad. He will call them names. But still, they will honor him. They will kiss his ass. And you're wondering what kind of people you voted for to represent you. Someone someone said not too long ago that this is not the Republican Party. This is the party of Donald Trump. The party, this is Trump party. This is not the Republican party. And I do think that come uh, the midterms, when the Republicans are wiped out, they will never, ever be back in power again because America will never live this down. This is why so many Republicans already right now are trying to find ways to keep you and me and others from voting. They are working overtime to try to do this. Because they know, the Republicans know that the only way they can win is cheating. That's all. They, Donald Trump cheated. Americans did not vote for Donald Trump. Gerrymandering. Gerrymandering. The Russians and the Electoral College gave us Donald Trump. Gerrymandering is cheating. The Russian meddling in the U.S. elections, that's criminal. This is how we got Donald Trump. You and I didn't vote for him. You and I will not vote for him. Congress knows that their asses are grass. Trump knows that it's over. But Trump wants to stay in power. He wants to stay president. He wants to be president for life. He wants to hold on to power, and he will do anything to hold on to power and lie like a dog to stay out of jail. The only thing we got going now, folks, is special counselor Robert Mueller, and we need him to hurry up because every day he delays, Trump brings the country to its knees even more. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show. We're just about off the air, folks. I want to thank everybody for tuning in and listening, and, and, and it's been great. I want to say one more time, congratulations to Denver Wilder on his um, magnificent and wonderful and great graduation. And uh, once again, I want to say uh, thank you to all the folks out there who showed up at his graduation to give him and all the other graduates graduates a lot of support. And I want to say uh, I hope you guys are adults now. <laughs> you are out of uh, uh, high school now, on your way to college, 
hey, wow, make the best of it from the George Wilder Jr. Show, broadcasting live out of the city of Chicago. Bye-bye, everybody. you have a good one. All right. Bye-bye, everybody. Make sure you join me tomorrow. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.